How do you live your life like tomorrow matters? Perhaps you're already growing food, consuming less, connecting with your community. Perhaps you're already thinking hard, keen to see the world a little slower, greener, healthier. But where to begin? Here on the Future Setting Podcast, we dig deep into the hearts and minds of blissfully normal people doing bloody amazing things, unearthing their moments of contradiction, their hopes and fears for the future, and what galvanises them to action, in the name of inspiring all of us to do a little more in shaping a better future today. I'm Jade, and this is Future Setting. So I'm chatting today with a beautiful human called Sandra Henry who actually reached out to me and then I didn't do a lot with it because my head was too full at the time but one of my gorgeous neighbours said to me I used to be a wedding photographer did you know and I used to work with this beautiful human and her name was Sandra and we were talking away and I'm thinking I know who this woman is. Anyway the long and the short is that we have a change maker in our midst today and um, that is actually her her email signature, but I've read a whole lot about her since, and she is most definitely a change maker, but not in a sphere that you would ordinarily expect change makers to lurk. She calls herself a wedding change maker, and she's the founder of an organisation called Less Stuff, More Meaning, and she plays in a space that has traditionally been filled to the brim with a sense of opulence, certainly in the Western world, and um, I guess COVID has had an impact. On that, but actually, we're going to chat with her today about the fact that it's not just COVID; it's a whole lot of shift in a different direction that culture is taking their own expectations for the way in which we celebrate the really important things in our lives. Last year, in fact, she created um, a thing called a wedding footprint calculator, and it's a really good uh, way of discovering what your impact, your carbon emissions impact is. And she found that during COVID, this calculator reported back that there was a 93% reduction in carbon emissions from weddings that were held during COVID, which obviously couldn't have more than 10 people in them. There's so much I want to ask, Sandra. She's juggled kids because we're dealing with school holidays and we're both in the same place at the same time to have this beautiful conversation. Sandra, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. It's lovely to have you here. So that long-winded way was a way of explaining how difficult it can sometimes be to get two people in one spot. And like we mentioned earlier, sometimes it's just the right time. You plant a seed at a certain time and then you just wait and then all of a sudden there'll be a reminder and something will bring you together at just the right time. So, yeah, it's worked out really well. Yeah, we've thrown these seeds of goodness into the ether and you just wait to see when they land. So you're a single mum yep, and you're the founder of a business that is so needed. I feel like maybe you might be one of the only voices in the sector that you're playing in that is beating the drum of less stuff. Mm. And It's definitely niche. De- <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I was wanting to ask you about that, but before we get to how niche it really is, especially when there's people like Princess Eugenie that are claiming, you know, no plastic weddings. Mm. So that gives it a bit of a profile. I want to know how you got to where you've got to. So where did all of this begin for you? Oh, it's, I can give you the, (laughs) I can give you the summarised version. But basically I um, have been working as a wedding photographer for at least 15 years and during that time I've seen the rise of wedding blogs and how 
um, trend-based weddings have really taken off. So um, the vintage thing or the boho theme or mm-hmm. even the country getaway weddings has been very, very much fueled by the fashion at the time and what the media that we're consuming in the wedding industry. And so I've seen that change go through. Um, And then at the same time, I was going through a bit of a personal crisis. I had gone through a divorce and that just made me extra cynical about weddings and consumerism. (laughs) (laughs) And then at at another layer of of cynicism on top of that, I actually went to volunteer as a photojournalist over in Malawi for a couple of weeks to capture success stories over there of development work and they were projects like microfinance um, within a group of women in a community or um, building homes, brick homes or um, tree planting, that kind of thing. So um, and what I realised when I was speaking to people and I was sitting on the ground, sitting on the earth and and the the woven mat was put out for me and I was really welcomed and I was sitting and having these heart-to-heart conversations And people were so incredibly grateful for the improvements and the what they've been given in life. So having like just simple a mattress to sleep on, or pots and pans, or regular income so that they can spend more time with their kids. And then I came back from that experience. And, you know, you hop on a plane, 15 hours later, you're back in your own world, mm-hmm. which is a completely different world. And I had this reverse culture shock where I went into really high-end weddings where, you know, you were spending $30,000, dollars $50,000 on one day. And wow. I can't it's even imagine crazy, explaining that to someone back over in Malawi where I was. That mm-hmm. would be, I'd probably feel really rude even talking about that that's how we live so and yeah so I had this real culture shock thinking wow this is we are incredibly blessed like we are so incredibly blessed in our abundance and if we can have I'm not saying there's anything wrong with celebration and and enjoying our abundance but I'm saying well if we have so much we also have something to give back we have enough to give back. And so yeah. that was sort of my initial thought about less stuff or meaning that let's try and incorporate some more social giving into our weddings because it's a it's a time when we're celebrating love between each other. But how about we extend that love between each other and our global community or our our global family? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where it started. And I had initially pitched less stuff, more meaning to the development organisation that I had volunteered for and was going to work with them. But that ended up being um, dropped at the last minute. So I'd, I'd actually spent like a year working on the branding, on all the quotes, the illustrations, the, the whole foundation of how the business was going to run. And I'd gone through all the meetings and had like done all the financials and right at the very last moment the CEO of the organisation was ready to sign off but the CFO of the organisation just just dropped it at the last minute and said, nah, it's too risky, we don't want to do it. So I was left with going, oh, now what what do I do? Like, um, And it kind of comes back to what we were saying earlier about planting a seed. Like I feel like I had planted this seed and it was not 
has now not turned into that vision at all. Like it's completely different. But the foundation was there and then I kind of let go of any plans that I had. I thought, well, my plans didn't work, so now I'm just going to see what happens, see how this evolves. So, and I went, I've been doing that for the last five years. <laughs> so, and now it's evolved into a completely different direction. So um, I initially started on social media and just speaking out about the concept of giving back or scaling back with weddings. And that's when I started connecting with people who were doing really interesting things in the space, um, like flower growers, for example, that were growing organically, or dress designers who were designing zero waste dress patterns and sourcing really mindfully where their fabrics come from, for example. Mm -hmm. And then I realised that there was this whole sustainability issue within the wedding industry that I didn't know. Even I, as a wedding photographer who had worked in the industry for 15 years, did not know about these issues. Mm. I thought, wow, if I don't know, how would couples who are only planning their one big day, how would they know? And Mm. they're not going to have these conversations. So that's when I realised, oh, wow, there's a real education component here. Mm. And that's how Lester Hormini became very much environmentally focused and passing all that information to our readers. Mm. It's finding that on-ramp to consider what you need to know because otherwise you just blindly accept what you're fed by the mainstream narrative and that's what you see in the media everywhere and and on social media that you're comparing yourself to or planning very much and so when you subtly shift that lens that gives people the opportunity to consider what kind of day they actually want that represents them and who they are what you're saying is there there wasn't uh, enough on ramps to give people the opportunity to make it waste free or to make it um, socially justice oriented you know the gift registry went somewhere else or you know to make it mindfully smaller or to make it really ritualized or or locations you know all of those things very much we're very much surrounded by young thin beautiful um wedding media (laughs) yeah let's (laughs) get real (laughs) um and you know we kind of perpetuate that ourselves like for example as a photographer you want to show off your most beautiful work so you Mm -hmm. end up showing those really stylized or beautiful couples and then it's exactly like you said we're surrounded by that and then we think that well that's what you do when you get married Mm -hmm. and you go to your friend's weddings and you think oh this is what you do this is Mm -hmm. wedding culture and so Lester Hall Meaning has really become an alternative voice in the industry mm. and people are so relieved when they come across us. It's like, oh, wow, <laughs> um, I'm not the odd one out. This is actually exactly mm. how I feel and thank goodness someone else is reinforcing and making me feel okay about my kind of non-traditional quirky yeah. wedding plans. <laughs> or my lack of desire to follow a formula. Exactly. I just don't yeah. want to tick the boxes and roll it out like others are so happy to do. I actually want to create my own that is expressive of my own um, personality and the way in which I I interact with the world. Very much. And it's interesting with the COVID restrictions that you mentioned earlier, um, with weddings only being able to have like around 10 people, Mm. the feedback we were getting during that time is that so many people actually went ahead with their small wedding instead of postponing because it gave them the excuse to have the small wedding they actually wanted. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So they didn't have to create all this hoopla and jump through the boxes created by everyone else. 
they got to simplify, they got to have only the people they really wanted there, they got to save money and it just goes to show that even as grown adults we have so much social pressure Mm. or pressure that we put on ourselves to comply with what the norm is Mm. and you need something like a pandemic to give you permission to Mm. have a small wedding. I think that was that really um, highlighted something big for me that um, it's so important to really show and have those other role models available to to kind of give people permission to go down that path. I think weddings were always such a, well, in more recent tradition, I was going to say traditionally, but probably more recent, um, an expression of opulence because it was intended only to happen once in a lifetime. And also it... Um, is the coming together of multiple families Mm. and everybody that has been in your life since the time of your birth and you know they sort of are captured have been captured along the way as part of your your people and you know it was an opportunity traditionally for, for families to come together and celebrate maybe only once or twice a year because you didn't have great big networks and you didn't travel to destination weddings like we do now and we you know we weren't um, abundant in the kinds of foods that were off, that are now offered at weddings. We sort of live a bit like that every day now mm. and weddings sort of seem a, a bit over the top. What, mm-hmm. what do you think people need to unlearn in order to still host a wedding that is representative of them but mm-hmm. allow it to be as rich and meaningful and ritualistic as perhaps all of those things were trying to be before we got completely waylaid by delivering the formula? Mm, I think that's a really great way of putting it is um, I th- the, the thing that I say to my couples um, is that at the end of the day you won't remember the actual things. You won't remember the things that were on the table, the flowers, mm-hmm. that, all those kind of things. The things that come back to you and stay with you for a lifetime are the feelings and it might be that that feeling of connection, like you said, of all of your most beautiful, important people in your life being there and being really happy for you. And it gives people an opportunity to really speak from the heart, especially fathers or fathers of the bride. Love that moment of being able to really express what's deep inside um, and so those words that are spoken are so meaningful and it's the connection and the feelings of the day mm. that make the memories. So stripping back all the things and focusing on the feelings that you want to remember and the, um, the feeling of the day that you want to create, that's kind of the basis for your wedding and that can take any form. It can be a small wedding, it can be a large wedding, but focusing on the meaning and then adding back in the things that you feel meaningful um, are meaningful to you, such as great food or great music, um, slowly adding things back in. So rather than starting at the other end saying, okay, I have a checklist and I need to include all these things to have a wedding, it's more like pairing that back, going back to how you want your wedding to feel and then adding things back in from there. Mm. So you're talking about weddings. Yep. But I'm kind of talking about life. So Uh I feel like everything that you're saying is about one day, but actually that's sort of how we could be living life, right? Mm, Definitely. And do you? Oh, yes, I do. (laughs) Yes, I definitely um, 
I have a very simple life and I don't earn a lot of money but I get to create my own lifestyle and for me success is if I can have a nap in the middle of the day then I have made it so So, yes I asked that question a bit what does success look like for you and no one has ever said a midday nap but I'm with you (laughs) and it's that other question that I ask often which is how much is enough And you kind of talked about that a minute ago when you said we have so much here in the world that we live in that there's so many others that have absolute gratitude for a donated Mm -hmm. or gifted mattress, um, you know, or a service that's being offered and that gratitude is so abundant and abounding Mm -hmm. that it actually is a bit of a culture shock when you come back into our world, which is just so fat with stuff. Yeah. I would love to know... How, you know, what does enough look like for you outside of a daily mat, nap? Mm-hmm. Oh, enough for me looks like um, a few beautiful dresses. I have to say I like my tribal <laughs> dresses and <laughs> um, time in nature and just where I can live a life where I can look after myself and my family and my mental health. Mm. and a little bit of adventure here and there and that's it like I don't need and we don't need a lot I think the more simple our life becomes the more we realize we don't need a lot to be happy and in fact stripping back you can eliminate a lot of the stresses that come along with life so Mm. (laughs) um yeah I feel like it's very much a mindset where um and it comes back to how we feel about ourselves as well like do we feel like we're enough the way we are in ourselves and within our environment and then yeah everything else from there is a bonus <laughs> um it's it's I guess it's a way of um building that positive frame of mind where you look around and you're grateful for what you have and and funnily enough then that makes you more generous because if you feel like you have enough then it's yeah. like oh well I, I can share this oh I don't need this you I've can have it <laughs> yeah you yeah. need some let me share yeah. and it actually that us- then returns beautifully because it builds relationships and it yes. builds connectivity and memories and stories exactly it comes back to that those are the things that really make our life rich Mm. is the connections and the friendships and the laughter that we have together it's like that saying the best things in life are free yeah they kind of are they kind of are and this is said from a position of privilege because we both have a house that we're in and children that we love and so they kind of are when you've got your enough ticked when you have that security as a base yeah yes I think that needs to be said in there as well 100% the thing with weddings, so back to the fact that we are talking about weddings, not life in general, although it's all just a lovely analogy, um, is that they are this deeply personal but inclusive of your community and your people. They are celebratory and they are ritualistic. And mm-hmm. so I have this deep belief that rituals are in fact the thing that can replace our need for stuff mm. and they have the ability to push back on our sense of endless growth. And mm. it, if, if you look at the wedding example, you know, it's possibly one of the biggest rituals mm. other than moving into womanhood or manhood, other than maybe an annual celebration at Christmas time or Easter or perhaps a birthday. In today's culture, we don't celebrate 
winter solstice or yep. harvest or summer solstice or the equinox. We don't celebrate those things that are bigger than us, but a wedding is one of those things that even though it's very much about the bride and groom, it's actually also about the people that are galvanising and gathering around you to mm. offer their support to you as a couple for the rest yes. of your life. Yep. And, you you know, you make your vows in front of these people through thick and thin and there's lots of thin now that we've both lived mm-hmm. a little longer beyond our weddings. Mm. We know that there's lots of thin. And I think rather than it being about the bonbonieri or the photographs or the name of the designer who designed the wedding dress, it's actually about those deep-seated commitments to one another as people, not the bride mm. and groom or just the bride and groom, but everybody that attends And then finding a way to celebrate that union for the rest of your life in a way that is ritualistic. So we've got a few friends that ring us every single year on our wedding anniversary and they just check in or they, you know, they celebrate it with us. I was with you Mm. the day you made a commitment to each other and so I'm still with you here now Mm. and I'm just here to remind you that I know things have been a bit tough this year but we're right here. Mm. And so I feel like those rituals are the things that can hold all of those ups and downs as we go through this time of great transition where we're starting to learn how to reframe success and redefine enough and find ways to share the extra fat that most Mm -hmm. of us have in our lives. What sort of rituals are you seeing played out in ceremonies that could actually be applied to other days in life? Mm. I really love how you um, mentioned how your friends are ringing you and it just shows that even a marriage, even a thing that's between two people requires Mm. community to support Mm. it. Um, That's that's actually really profound that you've mentioned that because, um, yeah, from from the the wedding in a way is kind of the peak. (laughs) Yeah, the beautiful sparkly <laughs> peak. We're not jaded. <laughs> and from then on in, you know, things get a bit tougher. <laughs> so um, I think we're both laughing because we know how true what you're saying is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's those connections. And I often see that at weddings where you've got a really close group of friends and you see that they, you know, possibly go on holidays together or the family's actually really like hanging out together (laughs) Um, it really gives me a sense of hope that those couples have got their support going forward from there Um, so coming back to the rituals that you were saying uh, there was this just yesterday actually I posted this beautiful photo from one of our um, members in the Leicester Women community she had posted a photo of a couple who have this tradition between them where they co-regulate together so during times of stress or um, excitement they place a hand on each other's heart and take a few deep breaths together to ground themselves and they did that during their ceremony and I thought Mm. wow that is so beautiful what a beautiful practice to have in your relationship (laughs) um every day that just there and imagine that doing that, that every day. An extreme higher and extreme lower yeah. where your partner has the ability to co-regulate with you. Yeah, imagine doing that every day. That would be probably a game changer. 
<laughs> for so many people. It's quite profound mm. and so simple. So simple. So I found that really inspiring. Um, but also the ceremony space in itself I think is really powerful because with the really gifted celebrant, they will really bring you into the moment mm. and kind of create this energetic circle between you and in that moment you can be truly yourself and really express deeply from the heart so you're expressing your intentions so it's in a way it's like words um casting spells Mm. and creating the intention for how you want to co-create your marriage together and seeing that as a an alive space within itself so yeah I feel like that ritual in it is really powerful and that's where the emotion can often overcome people because Mm. yeah you can um it's one of those rare times when we have put the time and the energy into creating such a heartfelt connected space we've slowed right down and we're honoring that and celebrating this little tradition and this ritual Mm. and from there something really amazing comes out of it like people say really beautiful things and that's that's what you will remember for the rest of your life and could you use that as an opportunity to say see what we did on that day at least in one day every year for the rest of our lives together Mm. we will actually intentionally bring a group of our closest people together we will recreate those rituals and we will reconnect and it doesn't need to be a whole um what do people do they recommit to each other or yeah repeat um, their vows it doesn't have to be about that it just could be a celebration of a gathering actually um last year maybe the year before it was sort of in and out of covid lockdowns we managed to find a weekend where my husband and I hosted a longer with than without gathering and we invited everybody that's been with us since we've been together and because we're now 45, we got together when we were 21 21, and it made us realise that given our our number of years that we've lived, we've actually now lived together longer than without and so, my God, there's been some hellish times in there you know, really rocky periods. Mm. And so we wanted to celebrate with everybody who's journeyed those ups and downs with us. And we did a longer with and without. And someone said to me at the very end, she's a beautiful friend, I needed there to be more ceremony in this weekend. You know, we took everyone to the bush and we did a great big spit on a a log that we'd felled and it was, it all felt pretty primal. We went fishing and blah, blah. But, um, she was right. We'd missed an opportunity. Mm. We'd, we'd acknowledged that there was a moment that needed to be celebrated mm-hmm. and it didn't need a lot of stuff. It did have a lot of people but um, what it actually needed was that what you just said, the chance to slow right down, come right into the moment and intentionally honour one another and and the path that you've walked together and that you're going to continue to walk in the presence of the people that are your community. Mm. And I wonder why we don't do more of that. Is that because life is so full that we just don't make time for it? 
It's a very good question, isn't it? And like you said, our rituals are falling away and weddings mm-hmm. are one of our very last mm-hmm. traditions that we're holding on to. And because it's one of the only ones, it become, there's so much pressure around it yes. and so much expectation, whereas yes. if we had regular festivals throughout the year, mm. <laughs> we could maybe put it into perspective a little bit more. Um, and something that you've just reminded me of is that um, in Tasmania where I have a block of land and I spent a bit of time there, there's so many winter festivals down there and it's kind of a way of getting yourself through that time. And, yeah, like the festival culture is really part of being Tasmanian, of that time to gather and have fun and create rituals and maybe that's why I love it down there so much. I don't know. It does have that sense of community. It speaks to you. Um, yeah, um, I, yeah, it's really lovely to be able to come together and have those those rituals. Like, for example, just the um, midwinter fest, where it's a celebration um, and people get dressed up in their medieval gear. And mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we do a winter uh, sale in exactly the same way. Yeah, it's right. Freezing. Yes, but it's a much smaller group than we would have at our summer gatherings, and it's on the winter solstice, and we do a huge bonfire, and we do lots of chanting and dressing up, and it's magic. It's magic. Yeah, let's just do more of that. <laughs> let's just create our own rituals. <laughs> well, that's right. We can, and we should, and people do, and you know, even a morning cup of tea in the sunshine with the warmth mm. on your back is a ritual and they yep. hold us because they're repetitive and, you know, they fill our cup yep. figuratively, like literally not just figuratively. Yeah. I agree. Given all this talk about weddings, it feels natural that I'm going to shout out to an ethical wine brand, Hidden Sea Wines. Yeah, I've mentioned these guys before, but as one of our pod partners, they're the perfect fit for today's convo. Imagine that you serve this wine at your wedding or next gathering for that matter. It would certainly contribute to your event footprint. For every bottle that you buy, and their range is actually pretty big, they remove 10 plastic bottles from the ocean. They've been at this for the last couple of years, and so far they've removed 14,322,757 bottles. Hmm. With a goal of removing 1 billion by 2030. And you can get a 10% discount from them simply by mentioning this future setting pod at the checkout. So there's some relevant food for thought. And back to the chat with Sandra. So we talk about um, weddings as the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. What's the single best wedding you've ever been to? Oh, gosh. Um, I think that's a little bit difficult to say because I've been, I've attended so many, many, many weddings. <laughs> but the ones that stick with me have always been the the small intimate weddings, the elopements. And for some reason, people who choose that kind of wedding go into it very much with that mindset of this is celebrating. um, We want to create a small space where we can really focus on each other, not the stuff, and create a safe space where we can express each other. Often that might be more introverted people that don't feel comfortable speaking in front of 100 people. And, yeah, it's such a small, intimate space and you 
it's actually a real honour and a privilege to be a part of such a happy moment. It's like one of the happiest moments of someone's Mm. life and you get to be a part of it and you've witnessed something really special and unique to them, like what makes their love story unique. Mm. Yeah, those moments stay with me because... Yeah, and often those kind of couples have have become friends over time. I was about to ask so, you that. Do you feel like you've mm. built this beautiful community of like-minded uh, people because you're all on the same page and then you all keep in touch? Very much. And that's our Less Stuff More Meaning community, the vendors that are part of our community. It, it feels that way. It feels like we're this instant tribe. We're mm. instantly friends because we have the same values. We have the same interests. We want to work with the same kind of weddings. We we can whinge about the same things. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, and it feels really nice because often in the wedding industry, we work by ourselves. Like a, a lot of us are sole traders. And mm. so we're working by ourselves, working from home. So that connection with other like-minded people, it becomes really valuable. Mm. And not only that, we might feel a little bit like misfits in the wedding industry because we do have a different focus. So again, You're that brings us close, closer, to, closer together. Which is so yeah. important, that sense of solidarity. Yes, very much. Before I go down that path, I um, had a conversation with the person that introduced me to you in, yeah. in More Real and I, said to, I asked her the same question, what was your favourite ever wedding? And she said in the hundreds and hundreds that I did, the one I remember most clearly was one that started at dawn because it was a new day and we're beginning a new new life together. It was tiny. Mm -hmm. She said there were only 10. They did a really pared back, simple uh, gathering of 10 plus the bride and groom and they did a um, beautiful big breakfast and they did a breakfast celebration, watched the sun come up, said Mm. their vows as the sun rose up and over them. And then they spent the day at the beach together as a new couple. I and love that. I know. You've got the entire, actually, you've got the entire day to celebrate then instead yes. of only half a day because you've spent <laughs> yeah. the half, first half getting your hair and makeup done. <laughs> oh, that is exactly oh, I love right. that. Yeah, I did too. And I thought everything about that is, is perfect. We did a, a surprise. We we're either going to do a tiny wedding. Or one with absolutely everybody, but call it an engagement party and tell, tell anyone that mm-hmm. it was a wedding. And so we did a massive one just in the local rec reserve. And then halfway through it, I slipped into a white dress and we put everyone on buses to a lookout and headed Aww. up to the lookout to say I do. But you know, that was amazing. But we had to organize everything ourselves because no one knew about mm. it. And also, for those few people who had assumed they would be invited to the much, much smaller our wedding lunch down the track and didn't come to the engagement they were then really hurt by the idea that we hadn't invited them or hadn't sort of given them the wink wink yeah and so there were a few really key people who are really important parts of our lives and have been for a really long time and still are that weren't actually at the day oh that's not something you expect when you plan that is it no 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 (laughs) but you know it's all self-induced but um I would love to talk more about the symbolism of a wedding and what we think we could do what we can take from a wedding's teach us into Mm -hmm. our everyday lives to rebuild this depth of connection and and reach out to a broader audience and build support mechanisms and 
ways to celebrate really simply in our everyday life? I mean, in terms of the what weddings teach us, it really is that celebration of love, isn't it? Mm. It's And it's celebrating the joy and the love and the laughter that we can have in our lives and making that a priority, <laughs> making fun a priority. That's pretty cool. <laughs> that is pretty cool. <laughs> I like that as a life lesson. Um, and... I think also being intentional with our relationships, that it's something that we're, it doesn't just happen, like we're actually creating it. We're creating, we're planning the day, we're planning our vows, what we want to say. This is something we're co-creating together. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel now in hindsight, I didn't really think about that way back in the day when I got married, but marriage really is the process of co-creation. Mm-hmm and being intentional with what you're putting into it Mm. so and that's an energetic space between you two that you need to kind of nurture and keep alive (laughs) you need to be awake to each other you need to really Mm. hear each other and be really heard by one another yeah just be so awake to where the influences are coming from and what what broader things are triggering you and you know, the way in which you navigate your day-to-day existence in the world. You're so aware of those things on your wedding day Mm. and then you kind of get sleepy again and you just sort of fall back into the everyday monotony of existence. It's so true. Um, And I guess in a way the way you're celebrating your wedding day is in a way a foundation for your future life together. Mm. Like do you want to create it really mindfully and you're focused on um, how you're sourcing things sustainably or minimising your footprint or are you incorporating some giving back into your wedding day? That could be a foundation of we want to live really purposely Mm. together. We're going to be mindful from here on in going forward. So uh, that's... I think that's a beautiful foundation to be creating, something perhaps to be mindful of, and this is um, where I go into my other favourite topic, which is feminism, (laughs) is that women are still doing the bulk of the wedding planning and I do worry that that creates a footprint in our foundation for unequal labour distribution going forward into a marriage. So um, just because the woman possibly enjoys the planning process or enjoys the pretty things bringing the pretty things together are we then saying yes to taking on the emotional labor from there on in oh let's talk about this let's (laughs) let's pick this apart I had never considered that I I do know that there is a pretty strong theme that it's usually the bride that drives what the wedding day Mm, looks like. Very much. I mean, it is starting to change. I have to Mm -hmm. say within the last few years uh, vendors are noticing we're getting more inquiries from from men Mm -hmm. Um, and it has changed potentially also since um, same-sex marriage has um, become legal. So, yeah, the culture is changing but still I would say Probably 95% of my followers are female. Yes. And a good 80% of the wedding planning is done by females. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, And is yeah. that because men say, <laughs> you do it the way you want to do it, I don't really care, I'll just turn up on the day? 
or because yes. you've got a really particular idea in your mind already because we've got this culture of um, instilling in our little girls that one day you'll get married and, you know, you hear that said quite a bit or is it because, as you just said, so I love this because it's really made me question my thinking, um, is it actually because the women are the predominant planners and uh, the predominant decision makers around the household and it just absolutely solidifies that into the foundation of the relationship dynamic? Mm, probably a little of all of the above. <laughs> uh, it, I think culturally we've been conditioned to, to really be drawn to the pretty and the beautiful and having the princess moment and having it like what we call a dream wedding and that dream wedding is really based on a, a, a feminine perspective. Like I'm not sure mm. we would say many guys have had dreams of, <laughs> of getting married one day. I don't mm. know. Um, so, yeah, I feel like it's really ingrained in our culture. And then on top of that, we're surrounded by that wedding media where it's very much about being beautiful for the day and being at our fittest and thinnest for the day and looking glamorous and having that beautiful moment walking down the aisle where everyone looks at you and goes, oh, you're so beautiful. Oh, brother. <laughs> so it's Feeling like daunted really, just thinking about that. <laughs> it's really, really ingrained into us mm. and uh, it's just it's very, all very subconscious, I believe, because it's in the cartoons I'm... the kids watch when they're five, and it's in the storybooks they're reading when they're yeah. seven, and and we just do what our friends do, and that's that's mm. just the way we do things. So mm. it's very very ingrained, and it's not until you get down the track and realize, hang on a minute, <laughs> I've been doing a lot of the emotional labor here, and I'm maybe done. I should have maybe I should have put a little bit more thought about that into, into actively talking about it from an early stage and saying, mm -hmm. hey, we're doing this together and let's share the wedding planning 50-50 because mm -hmm. this is how we want to create our marriage together. Mm -hmm. And let's be intentional. Yeah. And collaborative and awake. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, which completely reframes then how you parent and how you... I yeah, because it is, you know, often that's the first step. You get married and the next step is having kids. And, mm. um, again, a lot of that is ingrained and subconscious and it's not until women are then burnt out and completely struggling as a parent that we go, hang on, I need help, I need more help here. So mm. <laughs> this is just the older, wiser, more cynical me going, younger me, please start having these conversations earlier. <laughs> That's actually a question I often, uh, often ask too. What advice would you give your younger self if you were going into this sphere or this sector, this world again? Mm, well, I really firmly believe that if I was having these conversations now that I have, like what are our values and how do we, what kind of marriage do we want to create and what, what do we really believe strongly in and what kind of difference can we make in the world and how do we see our marriage moving forward and how can we equally support each other? If I had had any of those conversations when I was in my 20s, I think it would have become glaringly obvious how 
<laughs> mismatched I was to my husband. Mm-hmm. It's just that I didn't even think about it that back then because you just literally go along with, you know, been dating a while and the next step is to get married and then the next step is to have kids. And, yeah, it's not until you get to at the other end when it hasn't worked <laughs> that you start questioning, oh, yeah. It's, it's amazing because I think we often really, it depends on the role models that we have growing up. If we've had a really healthy parent, uh, our parents have had healthy relationships and then that becomes our normal or have our parents had really dysfunctional relationships and that is our normal. So we mm-hmm. just kind of go along subconsciously recreating what is familiar to us and yeah, so that I guess that is something that I would I would encourage to, to have those conversations with young women and perhaps that even can be part of our rituals of teenage teenagers as what does it mean to become a woman? What does it mean to become a man? Yeah. What does it mean when you are creating a marriage? Let's start having these conversations earlier rather than just following the train tracks. And not and just one-on-one conversations but <clears throat> so my husband is just about to take our second son away for a rites of passage pathways to manhood program and I'll do the same thing with my daughter when she starts bleeding Mm -hmm. because it is that that pathway to womanhood and at that time we'll make it really abundantly clear who her female guardians are around her Mm. to hold her and guide her and you know be that that support network that she'll hopefully have for life but we don't do that we don't formalize it or ritualize it we just make assumptions and uh, continue on our merry way in our nuclear existences Mm. sort of dipping in and out of communities like the school community or the work community as it suits us but actually if we wake up and break out of the shackles of that train tracked approach it actually gives you the ability to reframe life and what you want from it and what you give back to it. Mm, yeah, and there's some sort of feeling of responsibility and obligation that I feel having now that I'm I'm 45 as well and I feel like I'm coming into the years where I feel obligated to pass on some of that learning from my mistakes <laughs> and pass on some of that wisdom and I guess that's in a way recreating more of that community and village way of living where mentors and the wisdom of the elders is really valued mm. and we're bringing those two age groups together mm. and sharing that knowledge um yeah it I also really puts love value idea. in people that are our age <clears throat> we're starting to become invisible because 45 mm. year old women don't have the visibility of 25 and 35 year old yeah. women we're moving into that you know you go maiden mother marga Mm-hmm. crone we're moving into that marga phase where our children are, are no longer needing us in that nourishing role mm. that we used to have and um we're no longer identified by us our, our strong physicality or our our very abundant and outward facing beauty yeah and we just don't get seen in media we're not represented we're not heard very strongly and we're reframing who we are and what we do. And if we could find a way to make those guides, those guardians, valued by the people that are younger, then it actually is a really desirable place to be. But it hasn't been yearned for or sought 
And so people have that desire to continue to look younger and behave younger and as if that's where the value lies. As if that's where the value lies mm. because in mainstream that is. Yep. And so actually reframing value and reconnecting multi-generations and giving us all a place in a way that's really important and really needed. Mm. I feel like a lot of us are starting to have more that yearning more and more to really recreate those um, traditional connections Mm. it's somehow we can feel in our bones somehow that something is missing (laughs) Mm. and like you're sending your yeah it's primal Mm. and you're sending your kids off to rites of passage and my kids this next week are going to a teen camp for some a similar experience and they actually don't want to go but (laughs) i'm on the other side i'm making them go and have fun because that's the kind of mum i am Uh, (laughs) um, uh, yeah I just feel it's so important to bring those things back in that we've lost and uh, that is definitely the bringing together of the different generations and learning from each other I just remember even as a kid I my grandparents lived through World War II in Germany and man their stories were so interesting of you know, they had to go and hide in the basement because, you know, the the bomb bombs being dropped every night and the, the sirens going off and, uh, you know, the, the stories that I used to hear and, and just hearing about a different way of living, I, those stories have stayed with me forever. Yeah. And, yeah, I feel that that is something that's kind of missing, like bringing together different generations and the hearing of the stories and learning from each other. If we can recreate that today, I think we're all going to benefit from it and and just really enjoy it too. And so weddings do that, but Mm. why is it the only time in our life that we do that? Good point. These are our foundations. They embed us in place and they embed us with our people. And so why don't we take a whole lot of the things that get rolled out for a wedding and apply it actively um, Mm. throughout the rest of our life? You've really given me a lot of food for thought. I might actually try and break that down and see if we can. What what can weddings teach us? That could be a good little series I could do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. stuff more meaning. I love it. (laughs) I also want to ask really quickly because we've talked a lot about – ritual and we've talked about community but I would love to know I'm assuming that the people that are seeking you out are people who have a sense of or a level of eco-anxiety yes and do you feel like with the community that you've then created post that um settles people it connects people to other like-minded that make them feel settled because they're not in it on their own. They're doing this together with a community of people who revel in the same things and they don't need to feel quite so overwhelmed that there's unnecessary mm. opulence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if settled is the right feeling, not for me anyway. I feel very unsettled right mm. now because of the predictions that we're hearing. Um, but it does make me feel more empowered. Like it feels like I'm not just idly sitting by on the sidelines. I'm actually doing something 
actively and I'm using the privilege that I have, which is my voice, to um, start these conversations and hopefully pave the way to make it easier for other people to to make you know, more eco-friendly choices. Yeah. So by just giving that information and making that knowledge readily available, um, that makes me feel empowered. It makes me feel like, well, I can look back and at least I did something. <laughs> so it's a kind of therapy in a way. Uh, and, yeah, I feel like that's probably it's a way of fostering resilience within ourselves when it's all very overwhelming and stressful is to be actively involved makes us makes it feel a tad more manageable than if we were just looking from the outside in and it's all very scary Mm. yeah we talked earlier about on-ramps and given that weddings often happen in the earlier stage of your life Mm -hmm. I wonder if weddings are the perfect on-ramp to get people to think about their role in getting active and finding others that think in the same way you know some people's on-ramp is food production some is uh, animal welfare some is social or food justice some is you know waste free existence but a wedding you know it's such a big thing in our culture still maybe that actually is the perfect opportunity for people to on-ramp into a slightly different way of life and, and shifting of paradigms I feel it's a really exactly what you're saying it's a really fun love-filled way to be an activist (laughs) you're actually being an activist through your wedding which is you're through having fun and celebrating love like really there is no probably no better feel-good activism than planning an eco-friendly wedding (laughs) because you're doing it um there's no guilt there's it's it's just about creating fun and celebrating love so if you're if you're just choosing things mindfully along the way and reducing your waste and make sure you're sourcing ethically and um, you're then sharing that message with another possibly hundred other people who even subtly even subtly and you're doing it in a really positive non-judgmental fun-filled way joyful a joyful way. So, yeah, it's feel-good activism. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> That's I love the way that. I like to call it. Yeah, yeah I love that. Mm. And then you've actually thrown a bit of science behind it. So you yes. created the Wedding Footprint Calculator. Tell us about that. Um, I created that. Um, that's been, that had been something that had been on my mind for a while because there's a lot of very airy-fairy information floating around on the internet that a wedding creates, you know, X amount of kilos of waste, for example. And I, and I was looking at those memes and thinking, well, where has that information actually come from? Like how, how, how have you made those calculations? It would actually be interesting to find out what the, the actual are. scientific st- statistics are behind a wedding and where also are the most impactful um, ways that we can make a difference. So often when we think of an eco-friendly wedding, we might think, oh, well, we'll drop the wedding favours or we'll go um, paper-free or we'll think about the waste. But is that actually the most impactful way to plan your wedding? And the wedding footprint calculator actually showed that it's not those little things. The most impactful thing you can do to reduce your wedding footprint is to reduce the travel so Mm -hmm. that is to 
um, hold your wedding locally and think about where your guests and your products are traveling from. So having a small wedding sort of around 10 guests or so, like you said earlier, in during the COVID restrictions, when we couldn't import flowers, we had to stay local and we had to have a small guest list. That actually cut a wedding footprint by 93%. That is massive. So, and no doubt so the budget. We, as well. But it just goes to show that you don't need to necessarily be specific about every single item in the wedding to have an eco-friendly wedding. Literally, just hold your wedding locally and mm. go small mm. and you can forget about all the other stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and done. you're having a job done. It's, it's so much simpler than it appears in, in terms of what, what an eco-friendly wedding actually means. So, um, that yeah, that was quite a revelation when we ran the stats through the wedding footprint calculator. Mm. So the top four things to be aware of are um, travel, so that is yourself, your guests and where your products come from. The second most important thing is uh, the number of guests. Then mm. after that, the amount of meat that is consumed during the wedding because often, you know, weddings have three courses and there's quite a lot of meat served. And then the fourth thing is where your flowers are sourced from. So something that mm. not a lot of people know is that the majority of our flowers are imported from overseas because mm. it's cheaper, basically. So flowers come from Kenya, from South America. Uh, they're travelling huge distances. They're actually being genetically modified because apparently this is something I've heard through a florist is that if the flowers are not as aromatic, then they last longer. <laughs> so... So oh, then there's also the labour conditions that people are working in that you're not sure of. There's the, the flowers are being chemically treated. So there's a whole range of issues with imported flowers. So much, much better to source locally and use a florist that sources from local mm. farmers. And yeah, we so provide quite a lot of flowers to a local florist who does a lot of weddings. And there's two other... We're not full-time flower growers as a byproduct, but we have two beautiful local small-scale uh, and they do a lot of their own floristry as well, but flower producers, so mm. slow flowers yeah. is a thing. Just slow, like slow flowers, food. yes. Mm. Yep. And giving your florist the creativity to choose within the season yeah. and what's available locally. So not yeah. necessarily from... Or foraged. So not so not letting Pinterest be the guide, but rather being the seasons be the guide. So if you give them that that creativity, it'll be really easy for your florist. And it'll yeah, it'll make a big difference environmentally as well. So I feel like the same principles that apply to all of those decision making antics are almost exactly the same as the future steading principles. You know, love local, yes. um, celebrate simple, gather your clans. Um, and really, ultimately, think about every decision you make as one that is empowered and has the ability to regenerate, sustain or degenerate something else's existence, whether mm. it's the earth, the animal yeah. or the plant or the person. Mm -hmm. You know, there is someone at the end of every decision that you make and yes. the way in which you make your decision can either impact them positively, neutrally or negatively. Mm. And so if we really yep. want to create a steady future, we need to 
actively be seeking the regenerative approach. Yeah, very much. And how it's actually so much simpler than we realise. Yeah. <laughs> because by going small and simple, you save money, you save time, there's less to like bring together on the actual day. Mm-hmm. So something I've noticed with couples who have a small wedding is they are actually so much more relaxed because yes. there's less to worry about, less that they're, less that can go wrong yeah, less <laughs> and they parts. really are just focused on the people and the connection on the day. Exactly. Yeah, and less mental load. You're not ha- you haven't had that whole year of mental load before the wedding. Yes. So, yeah. And then what it's, happens? It's good all around. You reach the pinnacle that you talked about earlier and then you've got wedding fatigue and post-wedding um post-wedding slump. Yeah. It must be a real thing. I think it is, yeah. Yeah, it's like what what we've got our weekends back now. Now what do we do? Yeah. And we're not working towards this united vision. I always think that um during the hardest times of our 25-year relationship, it is when our vision isn't united. And so when you've got a wedding to plan for, you're really working towards something that you are aligned on. And then you finish the wedding and you've got nothing that continues to bring you back to centre and back to each other. So a purpose of sorts. Yeah. Purpose as a couple. Yes, I love that. Yeah, I feel like the only thing sometimes that's held us together is that united vision. I want to poke pins in your eyes and I want to leave you tomorrow. (laughs) But actually our vision is so big and so strong that there's no other person on earth that would contemplate creating it with me. I can't leave you. (laughs) Wow. That's that's really profound actually. It's a profound realisation to have that that joint vision and purpose, that's something that's greater than yourselves. Mm is uniting you mm. and yeah that's something that a lot of us are missing in our day-to-day lives and maybe that's where we're going wrong yeah a purpose bigger than ourselves yes more ritual with our community and mm-hmm. a daily practice of recalibrating with one another's hands-on mm. hearts oh look we've just written the recipe for success for life oh gosh, <laughs> we've just got it sorted now <laughs> Now to apply all of that. Yeah, I've just got to remember. What did we say again? (laughs) Fridge magnet. Need a fridge magnet. Well, it has been gorgeous to talk to you. Before we bugger off, um, if you had one thing to share with people, not just about weddings, but given that we've talked a lot about them, maybe we use them as the primary analogy. One thing to... Um, release that sense of echo and eco anxiety what would mm-hmm. it be I think just take action any sort of action whether it's small as in I'm going to buy that bunch of flowers and ask the florist if they were natives and locally grown like something small like that or getting out on the streets and protesting like Anything in that range in between, like any sort of action, I think right now is going to make us feel better and we also need everyone on board right now. Yeah, so now's the time. Now is the time. Yeah, let's yep. go do that. Let's go get in the sun and get warm. I'm freezing. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely. Thank you. I know getting married isn't on everyone's list in the next 12 months, but there was just so much in there using a wedding as an analogy for life that I hope you took as much from the conversation as I did. 
To take it one step further, perhaps you'd consider whooping for your honeymoon. It's not so off the wall, actually. We've had a couple of honeymooners who have done on-farm volunteering here at Black Barn Farm. WOF, W-W-O-F, of course, stands for Worldwide Opportunities on Organic Farms, and they are one of our pod partners who, alongside NutraSoil and Hidden Sea Wines, ensure that this pod keeps being recorded and shared. If you'd like to contribute to the Future Setting Pod, it's as simple as following the links at the bottom of the show notes, where you can either donate just once by the Buy Me A Coffee link or become a regular donator via Patreon. Enormous thanks to everyone who's contributed and continues to support us this way. I'm now off to return a goat to his own paddock. I'll see you in a fortnight when we'll chat with Jodie Wilson, who's the author of Practicing Simplicity. Until then, go gently.